Hey, so have you guys ever failed at anything? That's kind of a tough question to ask, the very first thing in the morning, right? Oh, yeah, I stink. You know, so yesterday I went with some of the guys from, from church here. We went to Top Golf, and I could just tell you right now that I failed miserably using the driver. I don't know if anyone's like that, but, uh, but could you not? There was a time when I was hitting this driver, and, um, you know, it's really embarrassing. Fortunately, there wasn't a whole lot of people around, but I hit the ball, somehow hit the ball, bounced off the metal thing. It almost killed us. <laughs> you know, it's a huge, huge failure. So if there's anyone out there that does private golf lessons or knows anyone that does golf lessons, please let me know because I want to make sure that I don't uh, get arrested for attempted murder next time I top golf or, or on the golf course. Right. So it's funny when you think about some things uh, that, that we fail at in our lives. Uh, some of these things uh, hit harder than just going to top golf, right, and, and hitting a driver really poorly. But uh, maybe there's some things in your life that you failed mis- miserably at. You know, maybe you failed a driver's test the first time or second time or maybe the third time. Or maybe you failed in a certain aspect uh, in your job that, that you get passed over for any promotions. Maybe you failed in a relationship, maybe a marriage, or, or you feel that you failed in, in how you raise your children. There, it could be anything in your, in your life, and, and, and you regret some of those failures, and it affects how you live your life today. So the question this morning for us is, how do you respond when you fail? Do you just throw in the towel and just give up? Or do you learn from your failures and then press on? We, we look at some of the most successful people in this world, and, and some of these guys have endured some pretty dramatic failures in their life. Uh, the first one, uh, as an example, is Albert Einstein. Did you know that when he was 16 years old, he failed the entrance exam to get into the Swiss Federal Polytechnic College? When, when he, uh, in Zurich, and, and so that, you know, here's someone that, that we know to be a smart guy, and he fails to get into the school, and so he tries again when he was 17, and he does get enrolled, and he finally graduates uh, with a math and physics degree, uh, but he's had actually almost, uh, have, he almost dropped out doing that, and then when he was out of college, he ended up working as a, a door-to-door salesman for insurance. Did you know that? I didn't know that. And when his father died, he always kind of thought of his son as a failure. Now, this is a man that we, we grew up knowing to be a genius, the man that, that found the, the theory of, of relativity that we know today, right? And, and so when you think of genius, who do you think of, really? Albert Einstein, right? Next one is Steve Jobs. When he co-founded Apple Computers in 1976, the company was just highly successful. But then he hired a CEO from the Pepsi company that, that just drove the company to the ground. Huge failure in, in who he hired. And they had some disagreements. Steve Jobs left, and, and Apple was just, was just waning and, and on the verge of bankruptcy. But Steve Jobs, he took five people from the company. They started their own company and became very successful. And somehow Apple goes and, and gets their company, and they combine, and then Apple becomes this, this big mega company again because Steve Jobs is in there. And if it wasn't for Steve Jobs, we wouldn't have the iPhone. <laughs> you know, something that's changed our lives and how, the way, how we use 
phones today, right? And every I, whatever it is, that have come up from that has changed the way that we live our lives. George, this is one of my favorites, George Lucas. Right, George Lucas, did you know that when he wrote and directed American Graffiti, that it was this huge success? Then he wrote this sci-fi adventure movie that two big companies in the industry turned down. It was United Artists and Universal that, that turned them down. But 20th Century Fox took a chance on this script called Star Wars. And so you kind of know the rest of that history on that one. Right. Sylvester Stallone. He always dreamed of being an actor but was, was rejected time and again because he talked funny, he walked funny, and just couldn't act. Right. So he was broke, and he had to sell his dog for $25 to pay the electric bill. Pretty sad story. So when he wrote the script for Rocky, he did receive an offer for $325,000 for it on the condition that he wouldn't act in it. But, but he refused. So he ended up taking an offer for $35,000. And Rocky, as you know, grossed over $200 million at the box office. Oh, and he did get his dog back, by the way. So that's good news. But these are just a few examples of very famous people that, that failed big time in their lives, and maybe several times in their lives, but they didn't give up. So the question is, do you trust that God will use your failure, no matter how much it hurts, to make you better? Do you trust that God will take care of you, or do you take things into your own hands? It's easy for us to, to, to try to take control when things don't go the way that we planned, Right? We try to fix things ourselves. We, we trust in our own abilities to get out of a bad situation rather than trusting God to go and, and help us with it. So how do you respond in these tough moments reveals a lot about your character. Uh, it reveals who you follow and maybe how you initially respond probably wasn't your best and maybe you regret that mistake. Right? How you respond after that mistake is what is the most important and can point toward where your faith is placed. We've been spending a lot of uh, uh, the last few weeks in, in the book of Matthew. So if you would, just pull out your Bibles and turn to Matthew 26. If you don't have a Bible, please come see me after the service today, and we'll get you a Bible. If you know someone who needs a Bible, uh, we'll get them one as well. And uh, if you don't have a Bible right now, you could pull up a, an app on your phone called YouVersion. And I, I know I've told you before, it works really well on iPhone, and somehow Android, you know, doesn't like Jesus, I guess. So it may not work very well on that. So we'll pick up where, where, where Pastor Drew left off last week, right? He talked about the Last Supper, which is really uh, the feast of the Passover. And before they had the Passover meal, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he came to serve and not to be served. And Jesus used a portion of the Passover meal for this new covenant, this uh, communion in remembrance of him. And so this is where we pick off. So let's go to Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And the sheep... But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, 
Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Then all the disciples said the same. Pretty amazing how, how, how Peter had this, this enthusiasm that he'll never fall away, right? And he throws shade at his fellow brothers saying, well, you know, they might fall away, but I won't. And here's someone throughout the Gospels that you read about Simon Peter that he's told Jesus that I will go with you both to prison and to death. We read here, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. You will never wash my feet. That's because he didn't really understand what Jesus was really doing. He didn't want Jesus to stoop low, but he missed the point of why Jesus was there and why he was doing that. He also told Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's seen that Jesus perform miracles from the very first time he met him, right, when they were out catching fish and, and bringing in all this fish that, that weighed down the boats. He saw Jesus feed the 5,000. Here's someone who should have been really confident in who Jesus is and in, in his relationship with Jesus. And after Jesus foretells of Peter's denial, then we get into the Garden of, of Gethsemane. And this is where Pastor Jew talked about how, how Jesus was praying so earnestly that his sweat was pouring like blood. And so in Matthew uh, in 26, in, in, in verse 45, it says, Then he came to the disciples, this is Jesus, and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of the sinner. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So despite what he knew was about to happen to him, Jesus was ready to be taken. Even earlier, he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And he asked his disciples to remain and pray with them. Of course, they fall asleep, including Peter, right? And so Jesus prays to God, and this is what he says to God. My father, if it, is, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. A few moments later, after catching the disciples sleeping again, he prays, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Already we see these two instances where Jesus is acknowledging that, that God's will will be done and not his own will. In a very difficult situation and having the power to save himself, Jesus doesn't do it. In verse 47, we continue. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with them a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friends, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Who do you think that was? Peter. It's interesting that, that the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't actually name Peter. Right? It's, it's the book of John that calls him out. And we continue on, verse 52. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, 
For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Again, saying that God can take me away from this, but we choose not to. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And he's emphasizing that God's plan will be done here. God has the power to take Jesus away from the situation, from suffering and certain death, but Jesus is the Savior of the Messiah, and this has to be done to, be, to save the world. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, as it says in Isaiah 53. When Pastor Jew talked about the Passover, this is really important to the Jewish people. Because back last year, I think, when we, we got into Exodus chapter 11, the, the Passover is very significant because when, when God was throwing out the, the final plague and this, uh, against Pharaoh, this final plague was to, to kill the, the firstborn kids uh, of Egypt. And so there was a lamb that was used as a sacrificial animal. And then when they killed it, they would take its blood the Israelites, the Jewish people, and then spread it around their doorframe so then the plague would pass over their home. So this was just so significant and important and why Jesus being called the lamb is significant. When Jesus was taken, there were this large crowd that were there and it's pretty much like a lynch mob. So we continue in verse 55. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me. And day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you, did, and you did not seize me. It's like all these opportunities that you had, but you never took it. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And this last sentence is, is important. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Jesus called that one out, didn't he? They, they, they failed him. And they split. And then we continue on to verse 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Cephas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance. As far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. So of, of all the disciples, Peter was the only one who stuck around. Yeah, I almost have to really give him credit for that, right? I continue on in 59. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus they, that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. It's funny to think that these high priests and these witnesses uh, tried to find a fault with Jesus and they couldn't find any. And so what they had to do is resort to lies, pretty much, falsehood, uh, to, to, to get Jesus arrested. And so when, when things we think about things in our life, when things don't go the way that we planned, what do we do to get what we want? Do we just do anything? Do we resort to lying to get what we want? As we read on, the high priest asked Jesus if he is the Christ, the Son of God, and Jesus says, yes, I am. Right? And so the high, the high priest just tears his robes, uh, calls Jesus a blasphemer, and there's people around the room that spit on Jesus' face and, and slapped him, asking him, hey, why don't you prophesy who hit you? While all this is happening, then what's going on with Peter? So let's, let's pick up here in verse uh, 69. 
Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also, with, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I did not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are the one of, one of them, and your accent betrays you. Now, I don't know what the accent was for, for people from Galilee, but you know, maybe they're southern, you know, with a drawl, and, and it sticks out. Maybe they're from <laughs> South Australia. I don't know. So let's just forget what I said and move on. So then he, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Have you ever been caught in a lie? No one's raising their hand, so I know you're lying. <laughs> so you ever been caught in a lie? And, and you know what usually happens after you're caught in a lie? Right? You tell more lies, right? You have to tell more lies to make the first lie sound legit. Right? And so you, you, before you know it, you're telling all these lies, you're, in the, you're caught up in this web of lies, and you forget all the details of the original lie, and, and, and then you know, you're just unsure of the authenticity of your lie anymore. Right? It, that, that's, that's just what happens when we lie. And I'm not saying I'm speaking from experience here. Maybe I am. <laughs> Maybe I'm not. <laughs> this is where, where Peter found himself. He told Jesus that he would never deny him. Well, he failed that one, didn't he? He even swore that he didn't know Jesus, and he was so fearful for his life, and his lies were driven by self-preservation. He was afraid that they would have him arrested too. He just witnessed Jesus being falsely accused, beaten, and insulted, and he was afraid that Jesus would die and he would be next. The world hated Jesus, and Peter found out pretty quickly that he was not prepared to face the ridicule and the persecution that Jesus was suffering. And Peter realized that he wasn't nearly as bold and courageous as he earlier proclaimed to be, and in fear, he denied Jesus, who loved him. And then that undeniable sound of the rooster crowing reminded him what Jesus told him. So if you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. Trusting God may require us to lean into our failure in order for us to see his plan unfold. Trusting God may require us to lean into our failure in order for us to see his plan unfold, meaning that when we do fail, let's not run from it. You know, let's learn from that and see how God can use that to, so we can see more of what he's doing and how he's going to use us in his overall plan. So like I said before, Peter has seen so many miracles that Jesus has done. He saw them firsthand. And, and so many people reacted positively to this. And they were just so excited about Jesus. And many of them called him Messiah and Savior. And it just seems that, did, did Peter not understand why Jesus came? 
maybe he just wasn't prepared spiritually for what was about to happen to Jesus, right? If you put yourself in, in Peter's shoes, you know that, that Jesus was the Messiah, the coming king, the, the, the king who was supposed to be the king of the Jews. And Jesus was supposed to, to be this person that, that he could put on a pedestal. And here he is getting arrested and about to be put to death. And you gotta think that if you were Peter, this was not what you expected. This is not what you had in mind. Things around him were just falling apart. And his world just got blown up to smithereens. And then he goes and denies Jesus three times. So it definitely was not something that he was expecting to do. This is not the way it was supposed to be. So what do we do when we feel like God's promises to us are falling apart or not coming true? Do we take things in our own hands? Like Peter, we, we tell Jesus, hey, you can't wash my feet. Do we fight back like Peter, cutting off the servant's ear? Hopefully we don't do that, but the point is that, you know, we get so passionate that maybe we, we do something that's a little too extreme. One thing to remember is when God works, it doesn't always look like what we expected. We all experience times when we don't get from God the things that we think we should get from him. So then how do we interpret this kind of failure we, we can come to a conclusion that, that God has failed us, or we can choose to believe that he's at work doing something better and more important than we can ever imagine. It reminds me of this song back in the 90s from Garth Brooks. You ever heard the song called Unanswered Prayer? Yeah, pretty good song. And I was actually going to school in Texas when that song came out, so it was fitting that, that it was Garth Brooks. All right. So in this song, he sings about this old flame and, and so his, his wife, his current wife, and he bump into this old flame of his. And it just brings all these memories of, man, I just, at the time, I was hoping that everything would work out with this person, that she was my world. And then every night he spent praying to God that this one thing would work out and telling God, I, I, I won't ask for anything else as long as you work this out. Sounds familiar for some of us, I think, right, where we're trying to work out deals with God. Hey, God, if you make this work, I won't ask for anything else. So Garth Brooks sings in the chorus, Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And as she walked away and I looked at my wife, and then and there I thanked the good Lord for the gifts in my life. It's amazing that sometimes when things don't work out the way we planned, we just miss what God's really doing. Right? We, we, we can be so short-sighted and not see God's plan past our own plans when he's already working something much better and greater that we, than we could ever imagine. Jesus had a plan that was really up to Peter to, to trust him. And when we talk about trust, it's, it's really a foundation of any relationship. When, when someone is truthful, we, we trust what they say. When someone is reliable, we trust that they'll, uh, we'll trust them to finish what they started. When, when someone is strong, we trust them to protect us. Character integrity are the basic building blocks of trust 
really. And at the time that, that Peter spent with Jesus, or all the time that he spent with Jesus, he had to believe that Jesus was trustworthy. And so we too can, can believe that as well. In Psalm 37, it says, Trust the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. In Hebrews, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. How many times have we been so fire, and God, fire for God and excited about our relationship with him, that, that we're on the spiritual high, where we have so much confidence and, and faith in who he is and that we take the stand for Jesus no matter what? We trust him wholeheartedly, but when, when things don't work out quite the way we planned or the way we expected, we waver. We, we, we fail to trust him, and, and we start to fall away. And then our, our failures become like snowballs because we just don't trust in who he is. Charles Spurgeon said it best, I desire to press forward for direction to my master in all things. But as to trusting to my own obedience and righteousness, I should be worse than a fool and ten times than a madman. So everything around Peter was falling apart. His Lord, his rabbi, his teacher, his savior, and king was just arrested. The people in the crowd were even calling Peter guilty because of his association with Jesus. And so Peter's fear led to self-preservation and his denials that Jesus talked about came true. He just wanted to save himself. And he missed the fact that Jesus really came to save him. How often do our weaknesses and fear lead us to deny Jesus? How many times have we not stood up for Jesus in public because we are embarrassed to do so? Are we so worried about what people might think of us when we do? When someone uses Jesus' name in vain, do we say something about it? When, when we are about to eat a meal, do we thank Jesus publicly for his providence? And maybe in the private, how many times have we not taken the opportunity to share our faith with others who need Jesus? And even in the quiet, do we trust Jesus' promises for our lives? Or do we just still try to take things in our own hands? Do we even listen to him? Maybe you're sitting there right now and you're, you're thinking about this list I made. And you're like, yep, fail, fail, fail. Now, the good news is, is that redemption is possible for all of us, like it was for Peter. Again, if you're taking notes, let's write this next point down here. Is how we respond to God after we fail gives him room to work in our hearts. How we respond to God after we fail gives him room to work in our hearts. In Luke chapter 22, in verse 61, it says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So this is just right after uh, the, the rooster crows. And of the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke's account of the story is really the only one that contains this one detail 
the detail is saying, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So this is pretty late at night when, when Jesus was arrested and beaten. And, and this must have happened as the guards were, were taking Jesus uh, and leading him through the courtyard uh, for his trial. The guards took Jesus through this courtyard where, where this crowd was, and, and the crowd just were just talking to Peter, saying that he was with Jesus, and, and Peter denies. And so at the moment that, that, that Peter cursed, this rooster crowed. And he looked up, and he saw Jesus looking directly at him. So Jesus was already severely beaten. Uh, his, his face was black and blue. His, his eyes were probably almost sh- uh, swollen. His cheeks were bruised, and his lips were, were covered with blood and spit. Yet, even in this dead of night, Peter can see Jesus perfectly in the light of the fire. And Jesus saw him. But Jesus doesn't say a word. Everything happened as he predicted. Peter denied him for the third time. He just looks at him. And you kind of wonder what, what Jesus was thinking here when he looks at Peter. You know, was, it, was it a look of conviction at Peter? Saying, maybe, Peter, you said you did not know me. Look at me. Do you know me now? Was it a look of compassion? Peter, you are weak. Now you know that without me, you can do nothing. Or was it a look of commission saying, weep, Peter, and remember your words, your denials. Repent, though, then go and strengthen your brothers. And this is what Peter did. He wept bitterly. And weeping bitterly shows a strong negative emotion that's driven by failure and disappointment. And a lot of this failure and disappointment is easy to internalize within ourselves. And so maybe you, you're in a failed relationship where you're disappointed in yourself that you could have done better in that relationship. Maybe you're disappointed in your financial situation where you could have made better decisions, better choices. Maybe there's a, you're, you're disappointed because of a promise you failed to keep. Or maybe you're disappointed because you continue to fall into that same sin over and over again. We can be so hard on ourselves that, that we just give up. You know, what's the point? I'm a failure anyway. I keep falling and falling and falling. There's no sense in going on. Then we lose the battle. But we do have this, this choice to make. And it's really critical for us. We either decide to stay where we're at, the status quo, or we decide to repent and tor- turn towards Jesus. And in Luke chapter 22, this is right before, Jesus, or before Peter denies Jesus. And, and, and Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I just love how Peter uh, treated or how Jesus treated Peter. One, he never criticized him, and two, he never gave up on him. It just, Jesus knew that, that Peter would deny him before it even happened, so he prayed for Peter. He knew that, that he was going to, to fail in this way, but he knew that Peter was going to go and repent. But that decision really fell on Peter. He had a choice to make. He had to repent and make that change. And maybe Peter, you know, he, he may have run away at first, but then when we jump into the book of John, we read that, 
that when Peter heard that Jesus' tomb was empty, he ran over there to go see it. And when Jesus was resurrected and headed to Galilee, Peter ran over there to go see him. And in John chapter 21, this is after, after Peter meets up with, with Jesus in, in Galilee, it says this, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him for the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, God can take us from a place of brokenness and make us stronger than we were before. Though we continue to fail and fail and fail, and though we might feel defeated in our failures, God's grace can rise up. Uh, up, up against the muck and the mire that we sometimes find ourselves in. And this is really what happened with Peter. Right? His guilt was turned into grace and his failure into faithfulness. So there's these two important encounters that, that Peter had with Jesus, uh, the first one being where he denies Jesus three times or, or, or Jesus telling Peter that he's gonna not deny him three times. And the second time was after the resurrection, asked Peter three times if he loved him. And not only did Peter go and strengthen his brothers, but he became the pillar of the early church in Jerusalem. And in Acts 2, he exhorted and trained others to follow Jesus, that he became the rock on which Jesus would build his church. And so like Peter, redemption is available to all of us. And, and once we truly understand who, who Jesus is and why he came, it will change the way we view things. It'll, it'll change the way that, that we, we think on things. So we, we stop putting our aspirations first and then putting God's first. So if I ask you this morning, how is your relationship with Jesus? How would you respond? From a scale of, of one to 100, how close would you say you are to Jesus? Right? The high 90s, it has to be like Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, you know, 100, you're, you're just so close to Jesus, you're pretty much him, right? And then one, if you're a one or a two, you know, this, this, this number is kind of reserved for Hitler, um, an axe murderer maybe, uh, people with five or more cats. And <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs, uh, yeah, one or a two. Right? So some of you are thinking right now that, you know, I, I, I read my Bible every day. I pray every night. Yeah, I, I think I'm probably in that 80 range. Now, for some of you, you just had your, your job review, and you, you scored really high, and your boss thinks you walk on water, so you're thinking, oh, yeah, I'm like a 90. But then some of you are, are, are thinking about all the times that you've failed, all the mistakes that you've made, all the times that you've denied Jesus, and you're sitting there thinking, I think I'm a 30. Maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, I'm worse than that. I think I'm a 10. 
And then some of you out there are thinking you're a one. You feel that you were born into this world to fail. I don't know what's happened in your life to make you feel like you're a one. I don't know what someone said to you to make you feel like a one. But the one thing I could tell you this morning, and this is the truth, that Jesus died on the cross and was buried, was raised up again to bring us new life in him. That's a guarantee. Now, it doesn't matter that that you're a 30 because Jesus makes you a 100. It doesn't matter that you're a 20 because Jesus will make the difference, will cover the difference and make you a 100. Right? It's, it's almost like that movie Hitch. You come 90 and she'll come 10. Right? It doesn't matter if you're a 10. Jesus will cover the 90 to make you a 100. And it doesn't matter if you're that one. Jesus will come the 99 to make you a 100. He covers the difference and that you are made perfect through him. You are 100 because of his mercy. And Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. While the Bible doesn't tell us this, we know that, that Peter gave his life building the church. He believed in Jesus so much and followed through on feeding his sheep, and he gave his life doing just that. So God loves us enough not to leave us in a bad place. If we can honestly look deep into ourselves and acknowledge how much we need him, then we're on a path that's, that's on a, a path better in the future with him. Gene Getz writes in his book, listen to God's voice saying, I love you no matter what you've done, no matter where you are in your spiritual growth, no matter what your feelings, I'm on your side. I have not rejected you. You are my child. You can become a man of God, and I'm here to help you. Faith is not believing in Jesus and the salvation that he offers, but also understanding who we are in him, that when we falter, that he is still faithful. Let's pray together.